let's be real. Lawsuits are no fun, but with Paulson and Nace, at least they are a little easier. With two DC-born partners, Paulson and Nace will fight for you the way only a Washingtonian could. Paulson and Nace handles medical malpractice, wrongful death, and other complex injury cases involving negligence. So if you have been hurt or lost a loved one because of someone else's mistake or negligence, call Paulson and Nace for a no-obligation consultation. Visit www.paulsonandnace.com or call 202-463-1999. Today on CityCast DC, a new poll says that most Americans think DC is a safe city to live in, but around here, it seems like all everyone is talking about is crime. So how bad is it really? Producers Priyanka Tilvey and Julia Karen are here to chat with me about it. Plus, some major drama in DC's Little League, and also the best pizza in town. Today's Friday, August 25th. I'm Bridget Todd, and here's what DC is talking about. So, Priyanka, if you were on Nextdoor or talking to anybody in the city, it seems like the number one topic on folks' mind is crime. But is it really that bad? There was this new Gallup poll that came out this week. It says that 52% of people in the U.S. think D.C. is a safe city, as opposed to 35% of Americans who thought it was safe in 2006. So huge jump there in the past 15 years or so. But I'm wondering if maybe there's like like a delay kind of situation happening where like crime in the 90s in D.C. was really, really bad. And so by 2006, people across the country still knew of D.C. as being an unsafe place to be. Over the past few years, D.C. has gotten kind of better in terms of our violent crime rates and homicide rates. And so that's why most of the country thinks it's a safe place to be now. Um, it's like by 52 percent, that puts us in the top 16 safest cities in the country. But truth be told here, I, I don't know, do you guys feel like people are just talking about crime all the time? Because I do. Yeah. So our production assistant, Susanna Brown, <laughs> found this TikTok of a guy basically acting as if he was, like, from the D.C. subreddit. There's crime. There's crime. Did you see there's crime? Me and my family had a very nice vacation. Uh, thank you to all the residents of the district. There's crime. So much crime. I had a nice sandwich this past Tuesday. Uh, you guys should check out Stokowski's. There's crime. There's crime. There's crime. There's crime. There's crime. Recent graduate, is it possible to find a single-bedroom apartment for $1,100 in DuPont Circle? Did you see there's crime? Maryland drivers. Obviously, it's just like key moments. Maryland drivers suck. Nailed it. Uh, <laughs> people coming to D.C. with their family saying it's great. Also nailed it. But like the pervasive thing that this guy mentions is that like there's a lot of crime in the city. And it seems to be dominating at least like neighborhood discussions, you know. And the other thing about this, too, I think, is that like we've talked about it on this show before, like youth violent crime is up. One of the stats that I saw that just like blew my mind <laughs> was more juveniles have been killed so far this year in 2023. Like we're half, we're like three quarters halfway through the year than in all of 2022, right? Like that is an astounding statistic to me. Yeah. Another stat that really freaks me out is the fact that homicides are on the rise here and we're surging towards the highest numbers in two decades. But in pretty much every other major city across the country, homicide rates are falling. So like we saw that in COVID, 
violent crime and homicide rates across the country went up. That was true in pretty much every city. But that's starting to come back down in other places. And in D.C., we're still climbing. And it's crazy because they don't really seem to know why. Like, why D.C. is an outlier in this case. Some of the things that are suspected are, one, that our downtown is still very much deserted and an empty downtown can allow for more crime or at least more perception of crime because there's no one really around to stop you. Another thing that kind of came up is that D.C. is weird in that we don't have full control over our policing. Some policing units are controlled by the local government, some are by the federal government, and the clashes between those two sometimes complicate their ability to actually effectively police the area. And then the last thing is that there's a massive police officer shortage because people have been leaving the force and they've been having trouble recruiting to the point where they're like offering massive bonuses to anyone who joins the police force right now, but it doesn't seem to be working super effectively. Do officials have anything in the works that's meant to curb this, you know, spike in homicides or at least perception around crime? Yeah, so one thing that they're trying is youth curfews. Um, This is something that's been on the books for years. It's not a new law, but they haven't really been enforcing it. So they're going to be enforcing these youth curfews in a bunch of areas around the city, including Chinatown, Navy Yard, the U Street corridor, near Howard University, some parts of Columbia Heights, and a bunch of parts of Anacostia and Southeast D.C. The reasoning for this is that they say these are areas where Young people are just hanging out and I don't know, like in Howard, for example, last week, the school officials said there was like a like fight club type group that went and attacked. Yeah. A throng of like 50 or so young people went swarming areas around campus, attacking people. Um, Someone was stabbed. And so, I mean, this was in broad daylight. So I'm really skeptical about what this youth curfew thing is going to do. But- That's the kind of behavior that they're hoping to curb with these youth curfews. Are there studies showing that like youth curfews like kind of work, fully work, really don't work, sort of not really work? Like what's the data say about this kind of stuff? Yeah, well, I mean, like a lot of researchers say that they actually do the opposite, (laughs) that they increase like tension and tense dynamics between police and communities. And so they don't actually reduce violence, but they had tried this in Prince George's County last summer, and the officials there do say that it had some effect on lessening crime, especially during the hours of the curfew. So I guess it's hard to say definitively one way or the other, which I think with with these things, that's always the case. It's always hard to say. And I've actually read that curfews, one of the reasons why they think it could actually have the opposite effect on crime is because if there's less people out on the streets, there's more opportunity for crime. And so if the majority of youth are like, I'm going to abide by the curfew, I'm going to not be out. Then the youth who are out, there's less people around who might serve as a deterrent or a witness. I I can't speak for whether or not that's true, but it's definitely a stat that I've read about D.C. specifically. No, you're right. That's a really good point. It is ironic for them to say both that the deserted downtown is part of the reason why crime is on the rise and then also that youth curfews would help curb it. Like those two things do seem to be kind of at odds. It's time to get dressed up, DC. So Others Might Eat is having its Young Professionals Network Spring Soiree. That's to help raise funds for homelessness in DC. 
The gala is on the evening of May 17th at the National Museum of Women in the Arts. There will be live music from DJ Heat from the Washington Wizards, photo booths, food, and even a special appearance by a former actor from Pretty Little Liars. Wow. There will also be a canned food drive, so be sure to bring a few cans to support Sum's Food Pantry. Grab tickets before they're gone at sum.org slash spring soiree. That's S-O-M-E dot O-R-G slash spring soiree. See you there. So, Julia, what's going on around DC's Little League teams? Okay, so have any of you all, like, played Little League before, like, growing up? Did your, like, siblings do it or anything, or, like, cousins? My brother did it. He was, like, a pretty prolific Little Leaguer in his day. But I never did. (laughs) It was, like, reading under the bleachers. Bridget Todd's brother, T-ball champion. (laughs) accurate. In the 90s. Let's go. Yeah, so this is a, a fascinating, just super DC story. Shout out to Frederick Kunkel of The Washington Post, this is the kind of local journalism like I aspire to. Extremely niche subject and like drama about a neighborhood where like I have no personal stakes in it, but I want to know all of the gossip, you know? So during this year's Little League World Series, which is held in Pennsylvania, um, the Northwest DC Little League team was representing DC there, which is really cool. Like it's, you know, it's an honor. You get to play in front of all of these fans. Big deal. They got eliminated last weekend, which is sad. Obviously, we would have liked to see them win the whole thing. They didn't. Stuff happens. After they got eliminated over the weekend, uh, a couple of bombshells got dropped. There was, as Fred Kunkel put it, a verbal dust-up between grown-ups began with an email blast accusing the Northwest Washington Little League president, Ricky Davenport-Thomas, and his allies of cheating to stack the league and his own team. It was filed in the style of a 40-page legal brief, which <laughs> peak DC, guys, peak DC. The letter, which is signed by Mike Klish and Aaron Sweeney, they're both attorneys for, like, <gasps> high-powered, fancy, you know, law firms in the area. It accuses Davenport Thomas of routinely ignoring Little League strict eligibility rules in order to poach talented players from other city Little Leagues. Oh, my God. <laughs> right. So there's age requirements and there's location requirements. So... If a player's age is contested or their address is contested, then they can't technically play for a certain Little League team. So that's what's going on here. Oh, my God. This is so D.C. I know. This is like <laughs> someone moving randomly to the middle middle of Kansas so that they can <laughs> run for Congress from there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> is he putting, like, 45-year-old grown, like, grown men <laughs> in this league and trying to pass them off as children? <laughs> no, it's it's a little more, like, fudged than that. It basically says that, like, Davenport Thomas manipulated the paperwork, right? And then lied to parents and coaches and officials about, like, a certain kid's eligibility, which is, again, the kid's age and the residency or school attendance. And basically, that was to field players who shouldn't have been playing in the league. This isn't we're taking Derek Jeter and saying, (laughs) go play DC Little League. That'd be pretty funny. (laughs) No, this is, like, a kid who is supposed to be 12 or 13 is actually, like, 14 and then like lives maybe like a street over of the place that the kid is supposed to live. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah, but I mean, let's be real. Like there's a big difference between like a 14 or 15 year old and like a 10 year old. And so it it can, like I can see how that makes a difference. I don't know that it deserves hiring a high powered lawyer to fight for, but 
yeah, I mean, I can see like the actual athletic difference there. So to be clear, like they haven't hired like a high powered lawyer to do this. This is just like parents who happen to be high powered lawyers have written this legal brief styled document, right? Like that is, I think, what this is about too. Mm. What has been the response to these allegations? Yeah. So Davenport Thomas has said, you know, no, like he rejected any of these allegations of manipulating the system or that the league had any unfair advantage. He said disputes have arisen over the years over like three players. And this is a guy, he works in the district's park and rec department. He became Northwest Little League's first African-American president in 2017. And he's been like coaching and umping children in baseball and t-ball for 36 years, right? Like that is a long time. So he's saying, you know what? Like, nah, guys, like it's all good. Like, I know the system. I've been playing within the rules and stuff. It's totally okay. That's his response. So take that with a grain of salt, I guess. I don't know. Hopefully we get another Frederick Kunkel report. Uh, (laughs) Maybe with a 100-page style legal brief. Maybe from Parks and Rec. I am waiting to see what we get. You know? Are all of the parents behind this? Like all of the local Little League parents? So some of the parents are pro this 40-page legal brief saying like, yeah, like, this is wrong. We don't like it. There are other parents who say the letter was, like, really over the top. Like, critics have basically said that Sweeney and Klish, again, the high-powered lawyers, that they identified little leaguers and their parents by name <sighs> when discussing, yeah, the controversy over rules eligibility. And, like, if you're a kid just trying to play Little League baseball, that's awful. Like, you just want to go get your moment in the sun, maybe take your magnifying glass and, like, zap some bugs in the outfield – I don't know that you're out here trying to be identified by name in a legal brief, you know? This is a lot. (laughs) I really feel for the kids. I feel like the adults are putting them in situations that, like, they probably don't enjoy being in. Yeah. Yeah, which once again feels so DC, like the parents taking things way too seriously. We agree. Like, there are rules, obviously, that should be followed. But I imagine at the end of the day, all these kids want to really do is go play baseball with their friends Maybe have some pizza afterwards. Bridget, uh, you have been talking to Ann Limpert about DC pizza. What are your takes on it? Okay, so this is actually inspired by Priyanka. She saw a picture on social media of some iffy-looking pizza, and it got us thinking (laughs) about pizza. DC is obviously not a city that is sort of known for its pizza, like New York City or Detroit or Chicago, but I do feel like DC has some strong options. As Julia said... We talked to food editor at The Washingtonian, Ann Limpert, about pizza. She had very strong feelings about pizza. She really liked the pizza at Vache. Um, She liked the pizza at Lido. When she talked about Vache pizza, she was talking to our newsletter editor, Kayla. Both Ann and Kayla had this visceral, visible reaction as if they were talking about a long-lost friend. Both of them closed (laughs) their eyes and, and, like, put a hand over their heart and, like, let out a deep sigh. And people have very strong pizza opinions in D.C., despite it not being known as a pizza city. What are y'all favorite pies? All right. So in terms of bang for your buck, I feel like Vache is, like, the place to go. Obviously, like, they've recently upped some prices. But, like, a slice of, like, plain cheese pizza at, like, Wise Guy, which is a place that I really like, and would go to after games at Cap One Arena, like, that's $4 for one slice of pizza. Like, I think we think of pizza as, like, a cheap, greasy, fast thing, and I think Bache still fulfills that role very, very well. I honestly cannot stand when pizza gets too elevated. This might be a a, a fuego (laughs) take. 
Pizza should be a reliable, economical staple. That's why people like pizza. I really don't like it when places try to get all fancy with it. Like, get fancy with it. But remember, it's still pizza. Like, sometimes you go get a pizza and it's like, why is it $30? Like, what what, what could you be doing with this pizza that makes it <laughs> worth that? Yeah, that's fair. I think that there are a lot of places in D.C. that still do that very traditional, like, cheaper. I mean, the quality also is like, you know, kind of floppy cheese all over the place, but like very classic, satisfying drunk food kind of options like Duccini's. Like at 3 a.m., there's nothing you need more than a Duccini slice of pizza. Yeah. Although I feel like we should preface this by saying Priyanka is a pizza snob uh, yeah. since she's from the tri-state area, right? So like oh, yes. as, as the unofficial pizza maven, what is your favorite slice and or pie? Who ranks supreme? Yeah, I'm an Andes girl. I love okay. Andes. I also love that they have that partnership with Lost City Books next door where mm. if you buy a book and you bring your receipt over, you get a free pizza. So like good pizza with a nerdy angle to it, like that is me. That was made for me. It's perfect. Mm-hmm. I'm also a really big fan of Detroit style pizza. So I love Emmy Squared. Ooh. I know that there are a lot of people who are into red light instead, which I haven't actually had, full disclosure. But that's mostly because I love Emmy Squared so much that every time I'm craving it, I just go right back to the tried and true favorite, you know? Yeah. Um, but they have a pizza that they call their colony pizza that's actually in my fridge right now, which has pepperoni, jalapenos, and hot honey on it. Mm. And it is so good and so crispy and so bready and oh, it's so good. Yeah. I mean, I'm trying to think of other like underrated pizza joints. Like I – so because I live near Connecticut Avenue, Comet Pizza and Ping Pong, I think people think of it as like a more of a ping pong joint and like other stuff. But like if you go there and get the pizza fresh, it's really good. They have a like taco style pizza. So if you want like – again, I don't know that it's elevated, elevated the way, Bridget, you are are judging it to be. But it's like – different takes on pizza. Um, They have like a Greek style one, like with shawarma and like tzatziki on it, which like sounds weird. But when you eat it, you're like, wow, I wanted all these things all at the same time. Um, And again, fresh out of the oven, like really good. For takeout, I don't know that it's my favorite, but like fresh hot pie from Comet, pretty good, pretty satisfying. Yeah. Yeah, I love the pizza at Comet. Another underrated pizza spot is right by... Uh, 930 Club. So there's also an Andes near there. So I think a lot of people go from the 930 Club straight to the Andes. But there's also a place called Cucina Angelina's Pizzeria. It's on Florida. So like Florida and Ace. Kind of Duccini vibes in terms of the late night drunk pizza style. But it's actually very good and very satisfying. Also, the people who work there are just the sweetest. Nice. Love that for us. Thanks, Julia and Priyanka. And speaking of pizza, if you want to see our whole team have discussions just like this one in real life and maybe grab a slice, be sure to join CityCast DC for a live taping to celebrate our one-year anniversary at Sunny's Pizza. It's happening on Monday, August 28th. There'll be a natural wine tasting from 5 to 6, and the live taping kicks off at 6.30. We will see you there and save you a slice. We absolutely will. Yes, come eat pizza with us. That's all for today here on CityCast DC. Our lead producer is Priyanka Tilve. Our producers are Julia Karen and Elizabeth Kalma. Our newsletter writer is Kayla Cody Stemmerman. Our production assistant is Susanna Brown. Our hosts are me, Bridget Todd, and Michael Schaefer. Music is by Alex Roldan. If you enjoyed the show, why not tell a friend, rate the show, leave us a review, and subscribe to our morning newsletter. We'll be back Monday morning with even more news from around the city. Talk to you then. The Friday vibes are hitting today, guys. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> <laughs>